Blog Talk Radio. Seven championships. It's like 3,000 hits or 500 homers. It's a milestone. The biggest milestone in NASCAR. There have been numerous drivers to try it. Only three have done it. Waltrip, Pearson, Yarbrough, Allison, Elliott, Wallace, Jarrett, Labonte, and Martin never did it. They didn't even come close. It was a historic day at Homestead Miami Speedway on Sunday. And don't let anybody tell you different. It's Talking in Circles. And welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with SpeedwayMedias.com. John Harlow as we bring you today's edition of Talking in Circles. Today we discuss the Ford EcoBoost 400 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series season finale. The NASCAR Sprint Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson won his seventh career championship and his 80th career race. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll break down the championship races in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series and the controversy following the Xfinity Series. Was Cole Witt out of line for staying out on old tires? Plus, the silly season news is picking up. We got some news yesterday about Greg Biffle's future with Rash Fender Racing. And this, this evening, we got some news on Robbie Reiser's future at Rash Fender Racing. And believe it or not, it's even more silly than that. Plus, we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 if you want to join the show here on Talking Circles tonight. Let's have some fun. Okay. The 40 Caboose 400 at Homestead Miami Speedway, John Harlow. It was Johnson's 80th career victory. He didn't have the best car all night. That was probably Carl Edwards. But an accident on lap 257 changed everything. Joe Logano was starting on the inside in the second position. Carl Edwards was behind him after a pit stop. And everything changed from there, didn't it, John Harlow? My bad there, John. Hold on a second. Uh, bad job by me. Everything <laughs> changed there, didn't it, John Harlow? Yeah, it did. Uh, if you think about it, Johnson, if he did, I mean, uh, excuse me, Carl Edwards, if he didn't try to block, he didn't deserve to be in the car. Logano, if he lets up, he doesn't deserve to be in the car. There's two guys going for a championship. That could have been the move that either put Logano in the lead or Edwards could have stayed in the lead. There was no other move to make, and Carl showed unbelievable class and was brought up big on um, NASCAR NBC show last night with Jeff Burton and Dale Jarrett, both saying how classy that he walked down and shook the hand of Todd Gordon and said, hey, my bad, I did what I thought I had to do, and Joey did what he had thought he had to do. It was a racing deal. There was no hard feelings, and everybody understood. I think Johnson. Yeah, I agree. I think everybody pretty much had an amazing there. race. It, it really was. I think it was an amazing finish. Certainly, uh, I, I thought the middle part was a little bit of a lull there. You know, that caution to me a little bothered me a little bit. I'm, a, I'm always a, a kind of an old school guy. I like the fact that uh, we let races run green. I would like to see that more often in NASCAR. But uh, there was a car that that blew a tire, so. I think it was pretty legit there with Dylan Lupton blowing a tire before that accident. But, listen, there's no doubt. I think I was surprised. I said, you know, on a show last week, I thought for Jimmy Johnson he had to go out and really uh, win qualifying and do and, and put pressure on this field by doing well in the practice sessions. He didn't do that. Qualifying was almost a disaster. They rebounded and qualified 14th. They were 29th with about three minutes to go in the first round there. And it was scary. They thought Jimmy Johnson wasn't, was going to have to work his way through the field. Um, but he didn't have to do that so badly, so that was kind of good. But even on Sunday, the early part of that race, Jimmy Johnson was not very good. That car was behind. It was really Carl Edwards, Joey Logano, and Kyle Busch that were in front of Jimmy Johnson all day long. And it came down to that lap 257 restart. There was only 10 to go there on that last, last restart. And like you mentioned, I thought Carl got a little aggressive. I think Carl had the best car there aside from Kyle Larson. I think he had the best car there from the Chasers. And I know it's it's second nature to block. 
but there's still 10 laps to go. And if you let Logano get on the inside of you in turn one, you can battle back and pass him. I thought he got a little too aggressive there. Uh, I know there was 10 to go, and I know you say, well, clean air is king. And certainly, you never want to let a guy get by you. But you also don't want to turn a guy into defense. And to me, he's got to think about it and go, where do I want Joey Logano to go? Joey Logano's got to make that turn. You can block him all the way to the corner, um, but he's got to make that turn. And either Logano was lifting, which wasn't going to happen, or you stop blocking, or something like that's going to happen. I just felt, and I know, you know, it's second nature. It's easy for me to stay because I'm not in his shoes, but I felt like Carl got a little aggressive there. Maybe, obviously, a little too aggressive, cost a wreck. Uh, but it put Jimmy Johnson in prime position to win to win that race and the championship. You know, once Sagano got a little bit of damage in his car, he lost track position. Carl Edwards was completely out of the race, and then it was just up to him and Kyle Busch. And Kyle Busch was on older tires. He had to pit later on after uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, accident. Logano was able to work his way up to the field, but there just wasn't enough time for him to get get the win. And Johnson, like I said, all night up until that point was looking like it was going to be eh. He gave it a valid effort, but he didn't really win the championship, uh, but that certainly changed things for Carl Edwards, didn't it? I think early in the race, Johnson had the best car on the track because, remember, he got penalized before the race, started tail end Charlie. So he went from 40th and within 50 laps. He was in the top five within 65 laps. And then he kind of plateaued there because running great early, Carl Edwards was running great early, and I was listening to Rick Hendrick today, Moody, and one of the things that Rick Hendrick brought up was when it gets dark, there's almost another gear that Johnson finds. Him and Chad find a way to get things going in the dark. And when you look at that final restart, and I can understand why Carl blocked the way he did, is once you got past somebody, it's something to see. I mean, Johnson was not class of the field. Kyle Larson was going into the last restart. Kyle Larson started on the outside row. Johnson got past him going into turn one, coming out of two, and Johnson checked out. I mean, Larson, nobody was touching him for a while, but then once they got to the final restart, Johnson got by him, had a great restart to get going, and Larson couldn't catch him. So clean air was king. Johnson showed it on that final restart. Yeah, and that's the thing with these mile and a half uh, tracks, especially later on in the year once they found more downforce, that um, clean air was king. And, and it, you got to give credit to Chad Kinnaps and Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, they got a little bit lucky because of that accident, but they were able to capitalize. And listen, there's no doubt Dale Earnhardt got lucky in his seven championship runs. I know Richard Petty probably got lucky a couple of times maybe in his seven championship runs. He might admit that. But um, listen – they capitalized on it. They were really, really good uh, when they needed to be. You mentioned when the, when the sun went down and track cooled off and F-48 seemed to come to life a little bit. Uh, and you're right. They came from the rear of the field um, and did a very, very good job. Was very careful coming through the rear of the field. I, I was very impressed with that 48 team. They, they, like you said, they had a roll in the middle of a race, but, hey, they deserved to be champions. They were great. Uh, pretty much that whole chase. You know, they weren't. And it's funny because they said this on, on Facebook. This is arguably the worst year Hendrick Motorsports has ever had. You know, we were talking about in July and August, like, what's going on? Are they even going to win a race the rest of the year? What is going on with this team? They hit a new, especially the 48 team, they hit, like, a new groove coming to the chase. We should have known better. They hit a switch, and all of a sudden they started winning races. Johnson won Charlie, won Martinsville, won anyone at Homestead. So very impressive from that 48 team to win their seventh championship and give Hendrick Motorsports their 12th championship. Listen, I've seen a lot of things, John, today or this week about Jimmy Johnson's seventh championship. We spoke at length about it. I spoke at length about how I feel about his championship, so I won't dive into that and beat a dead horse. Um, but there was some talk this week about his legacy. Um, what do you think he ranks in history? Do you think he's in the top five of drivers of all time? Uh, you know, he's got 80 wins, and that puts him up in the upper echelon. You know, there's there's Kel Yarbrough, Bobby Allison, and Darrell Waltrip all at that 84 and 83 mark. And, uh, and then once you get past that, it's just Jeff Gordon, David Pearson, and Richard Petty. Um, so where do you put Jimmy Johnson in, in the in the rank, in your mind, of, of how good he's been uh, in his career? The way I look at it, Richard Petty is in a different category just because of the era he ran in. They ran two, three nights a week. I mean, he probably ran close to 1,000 races to win 200. You look at Johnson, he's done something Gordon didn't do. 
Gordon won four titles. Johnson's on seven. He may be four four wins behind or a few wins behind Gordon, but he's going to pass him. That's a that's a no brainer. I think David Pearson is underrated when you look at it. His hundred and five wins. He never really ran a full schedule except for the years he won the cup championship. There's a lot of years they were a part time team, but he always won. I look at Pearson as yep. right there when it comes to it, but we're we're watching history. Every time Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals crawl, Chad crawls up on the pit box and Jimmy climbs into the car, you're seeing history being made, and you don't know which when the history is going to end. Don't think they're not going to stop at seven. There's no way. Jeff Gordon even said flat out today, they're going to go together until they see eight. I think the funny part is at the owner's press conference on Friday that Rick Hendrick actually said he was thinking about possibly breaking Jimmy and Chad up yeah. in the middle of the season. And then for them to turn around, win the cha- excuse me, win the championship the way they did, starting tail end Charlie, coming up through the field, getting a break at the end, but then again, there's you need breaks when it comes to NASCAR. You're not always the fastest car doesn't always win. It's the car in the right position at the right time is going to win the race. And Jimmy was in the right position, made a great restart to get going, wound up getting past Larson, who was the class of the field the second half of the race, and won the race. You can't say, okay, he backed into it because he finished 15th. He won the race to win the championship. The other three yeah, cars had the same opportunity. Yeah, and, and they – and again – for most of that race, it looked like Carl Edwards was going to be the man in charge, and unfortunately, an accident did that in. And again, if that accident was because of, of anything but debris, you know, we won't know that, and nobody will know that. That's a shame if that's what it came, if that's what NASCAR has to do. But I don't think it was on that point. I, I am very uh, critical sometimes of their caution calls. I do think they throw cautions to spice up the competition every now and then. But I think that one might have been legit. And you got to remember, it's a championship race. You don't want anybody running over debris there. Um, and, and ruin their championship. So I, I'd rather play with on a side of caution there, absolutely. Uh, listen, I think a, a Johnson here, uh, he, he's great. I mean, and I've talked about that before. Um, yeah, like you said, he got a little lucky. But, you know, I, I don't think I'd put him in the top five just yet because you mentioned Pearson. I think Pearson, you know, my personal opinion, I think Pearson was the greatest ever lived. And I know Richard Petty's stats and all that. I think Pearson, with what he did, with what he had, I mean, he went up against – arguably the best driver in NASCAR and the best team in NASCAR and beat them most of the time, you know, and he did it in 565 starts. He was great. He really was. Um, lost in the shuffle of all this talk and not to, to, to uh, go off of the seven championship talk, because it really is remarkable. Like I said, only three guys in history have done this. And that's what makes it remarkable to me is that only three guys in history have done it. But I want to talk about Michael McDowell really quick he had a great run all, all night at last Sunday, uh, a 10th place run. And it looks like McDowell, and we'll touch on this a little bit later on in the show, it looks like McDowell is going to be full-time in that 95 car again next year. He ran every race except for about four or five this year. Um, but it looks like he'll be back in that car again. I just want to give him a shout-out real quick um, and say great run for those guys over there at Levine Family Racing, Circle Sport Levine Family Racing. They were in the 59 this weekend. Um, Ty Dillon was in the 95. But to go out there, their plans, they bought a charter from Tommy Baldwin Racing. Again, we'll dive into that later. But it was a good start to what is the beginning of a, of a bright future for Michael McDowell. Um, John, the Cup Championship wasn't the only championship ran that this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. There was also the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the Camper Road Truck Series. The Xfinity Series was Saturday night. And Daniel Suarez won and became the first foreign-born racer to ever win a title in NASCAR's top three divisions. He's obviously from Mexico. Um, and he had the best car all day long. And that team, you know, I, was, I, wasn't, uh, I didn't think that, that 19 team was as good as, as his teammate Eric Jones all year long. But they came to play when the chase started. They finished in the top five in every chase race for the Xfinity Series this season. He goes out on, on Sunday, leads 130, or Saturday, excuse me, Leads 133 laps with the race's 200 laps. Uh, I thought it was a relatively easy victory for Daniel Suarez. What are your thoughts on Suarez winning the championship? I think uh, Daniel Suarez is a great talent. 
who has shown the consistency. He hasn't had the race-winning um, front-running car like Eric Jones did in the 20 car. And when Kyle Busch is in that 18, that's a whole different world. But I think Daniel Suarez has basically – he took the Ryan Newman approach whenever Newman made it to the Final Four the year they had the elimination race. Suarez was always there. He was always in the top five. You didn't see him wrecking equipment. You didn't see him blowing engines. He just was always right there. And I think next year, with no cup drivers being in the chase, that'll make it even better for a Daniel Suarez to be able to have the chance to repeat. I think what he's done since he's come to Joe Gibbs Racing last year, he struggled a little bit because it was new to him. His second year in the Xfinity Series, I think he did phenomenal. Um the one thing that bothers me with the way the Xfinity series played out was that restart at the end where mm, Cole Witt stayed out on the old tires. And if you're going to be out there on old tires, take the inside lane. You know everybody is going to bum rush you the minute the green flag drops. If you're going to do that, get your car out there, get some exposure, that's great. Go to the inside lane because you know the preferred groove's high. If you're going up top – you're going to stop two chasers and you're going to bottle them up and give them no chance at this shootout that was available. I think Cole Witt just made a stupid decision. He's a good little driver. He did a lot with subpar equipment driving for Johnny Davis, but he made a bad choice of lane. If He knows he's going to get bum-rushed. At least pick the inside lane so if you spin your tires, you can pull down, get out of the way, and let everybody go and fight for the championship legitimately. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here, if you want to join a conversation, I'm talking in circles tonight. Listen, it's a tough situation. I had a problem, and I know your uh, people, in, and you just said this, and I have a problem with Elliot Sadler's crew chief walking up to the crew chief of the number nine, uh, 14 car and saying, "Hey, could you move down?" Cole race, Cole Witt still has a race to run. I understand that to to a point, but I thought that was kind of saying, "Well, you're not really important, so move down." They're trying to get a top ten finish in that car. They have Florida Lottery, which that car's not sponsored a lot. They have Florida Lottery on the car this weekend. You can say, well, it's that's only a Florida based sponsorship. They'll only be in the car for the Florida races. Still, they run three Florida races a year with the two Daytona and the one in Homestead. So they want that sponsorship for next year. And a top ten at Homestead could basically, and maybe even uh, show off to another sponsor and say, hey, listen, with Cole Witt in the car, we can finish in the top ten. We did it at Homestead Miami Speedway. The thing that's overlooked here, and there's two things I think that are overlooked here, is one, Cole Witt. I don't put the blame on Cole Witt all that much. I blame – if you want to blame somebody, I would put the blame at the TriStar Motorsports team and that crew chief because Cole Witt had no tires, and he was told to stay out. You know, it's his job to listen to the crew chief and the owner there. And, yeah, you could say, well, he knew he was going to get bum-rushed, but he spun his tires. Eric Jones got underneath him and lifted him up off the rear – his tires off the rear – of the racetrack, it retires off the racetrack too, and that really hurt him there. Um, and I think they're trying to get a top ten finish there. They're obviously not trying to win, but they didn't have any tires left. And I don't know what you want to do: come down and fill up for gas to get out of people's way. You know, to me, they did a good job finishing on a lead lap. They were running on a lead lap all day long. They did a very good job. It ended up a disaster. I think if they had to do it all over again, they would sit there and go and do exactly what I just said: come down and get gas and say, forget it. But they were trying to get a top 10 finish there. And you can't blame them for doing that because we've seen teams do that and they don't get destroyed there. And they didn't, But they didn't have any tires. That was the thing. If they had two tires and they did this, or four tires even, uh, I think people could complain about it even more than what we've seen. But they didn't have any. So it's, it's almost pointless for them to pull, pull down on pit road and they still have a race to run. Their goal is to get as high owner points as they possibly can. And they were trying to do that there as well. So... That's something to keep in mind. Again, I'm not blaming Cole Witt as much there. I blame, if you want to put the blame on somebody, it's TriStar Motorsports and that crew chief. Well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you when it comes to he, he had no tires left. Don't come to pit road because why? But when you make your lane choice, you know you're going to get bum rushed. Choose the inside lane. That way you can still find a way to blend back in and get your top ten finish. You're going to get your lead time with the Florida Lottery out there, get them on there for the restart and everything, but you're not going to get the Florida Lottery on there for 
spinning your tires where you know you have you're a sitting duck. Get out of the way as soon as the green drops because you know you're going to get bummed. And especially when you spin the tires, if you're on the inside lane, you can pull down. Everybody gets by you. You don't affect the race, and you still have your chance at a top ten. And you're not everybody screaming at you. Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, here we are Tuesday, and they're yeah. still talking about it everywhere. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much play this has gotten. And, and it stinks for Eric Jones and, Ellie, and Justin Allgaier, who really got affected by that. It really stinks for them. And I feel bad for them because, to me, uh, they, Eric Jones had a really great year this year in the trucks, in a cup, or finish years, excuse me. He had a really great year there, and he didn't win the championship. But at the end of the day, you know, I hate to sound cold-hearted, and cocky here, but Eric Jones is going cup racing at the end of the year, so I don't feel that too, too bad for him. I feel bad for Allgaier, but he's going to have more chances. He'll be back there next year. He's going to have more chances. The guy my heart really broke for, I, I think Eric Jones, or excuse me, the, the situation with Cole Witt actually helped him was Elliot Sadler. Um, but that one car, again, they didn't they didn't come. They weren't great all night long. They took two tires there to try and get some track. They, I think they only had two tires, actually, in their um, in their pit stall. So that made it a little bit more interesting. Um, but they weren't very good all night either, so that's something to keep in mind. Real quick, John, before we move to the truck series and then we get to the, the juicy, silly season stuff, do you think NASCAR should, to avoid a situation like this, and I know they have the tire limits to help the smaller teams like the TriStar Motorsports guys, do you think in this championship race that NASCAR should sit there and say, you know what, we're going to get away with the tire limits, we'll, we'll increase the tire limits to – eight or nine tires per week, per the weekend, just so everybody's gotten kind of got tires and we don't have a situation like we just saw on, on Saturday. Do you think that's something that NASCAR should consider? I don't think so because nothing says they're going to still buy the tires. They're going to do what they need to do, and they're going to do what they can afford. There's no rule that says if you have ten sets of tires available to you that you have to buy all ten sets of tires. I think at the lower levels, and they're even talking about decreasing the sets of tires that cup teams can have by three sets next year. I think it puts more strategy into it. I mean, you heard them talking. I was listening to the radio on Saturday while the race was going on, and they were halfway through the race already talking about who's got sets of tires left because Homestead does wear out tires almost like Darlington does because of the sand and the way it's worn over the years and the old pavement. I think the limit of the set of tires makes the drivers and crew chiefs strategize when's the right time, how do I keep a set back for that final run, do I go with scuffs in the middle of the race to keep that fresh set of stickers toward the end. I think it's a good thing for the sport because it's you don't have a salary cap anymore. You have your big teams, little teams. This is one of the things where you have everything, everybody's on an even keel. Everybody gets the same amount of tires available to them. It's how you strategize right. and use them. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the only reason why I asked that question was because it would prevent it probably would prevent the situation like we saw on Saturday. But Kevin Harvick, when he owned the truck team, and then even the Xfinity Series team said, I like the tire rule. I think they should put up the Cup Series because it adds more strategy. Uh, I think they look at the Cup Series completely different than they do these other two series as far as money is concerned, because I think they do get a bigger cut than the Xfinity Series teams and the Truck Series teams. But uh, it was something that uh, I was interested in getting your take on. Real quick, one more thing, a couple more things about the Xfinity Series I want to touch on quick. Uh, you mentioned um, Daniel Suarez. He was great. Listen, he won at Dover, which is one of the toughest racetracks on the circuit. He finished third at Darlington at the end of the year. Uh, and you know, I think he had a really – he finished up strong. you got to give him a lot of credit there. Also, his crew chief. Scott Graves, who left Rash Fender Racing, was supposed to be the crew chief of, of Chris Buescher in, in a Cup Series this year in a 34 car, left right before the season to go to the 19 with with um, Daniel Suarez, and it seemed like those two have really clicked. They'll be probably together next year, obviously, now that they won a championship, but uh, Scott Graves deserves a lot of credit there, too, helping his driver and getting those cars right for him to win a championship. So congratulations to those guys. Truck Series as well, John. That was a Friday night race. Johnny Sauter finished second and won his first Truck Series championship. William Byron won the race. It was his seventh win of the year. Um, listen, I was really happy for Johnny Sauter. I'm a guy who appreciates people who have been in racing their entire lives. And Johnny's a racer through and through. His family's a bunch of racers. You know, Jim Sauter, we just lost him last year. 
Uh, and so Jim had to be smiling down on his son this weekend. You know, listen, I was counting in on one of the people who thought Johnny Sauter was crazy, left an established winning team at Thor Sport Racing at the end of the 2015 season to go to a team who hadn't really done well at GMS, GMS Racing where you kind of scratched your head and went, hmm, they're not really proven. He was the lead driver there. It seemed like a bit of a gamble, but it paid off for Johnny Sauter into his first Truck Series championship. Your thoughts on that, John Harlow, um, on Friday night? I thought Sauter, like you said, that was a a risky move to go team because Thor Sport's been a four-truck team, always legit. You've got Kraft as a multi-time champion driving for Thor Sport, but Sauter probably had the idea, it's like, okay, I'm second banana over here. He had a chance to go to GMS. They won Daytona right off the bat and were locked into the chase, and then they sucked half the year. They brought a crew chief that he's worked with before back into the fold, and they teamed up, and once the chase came on, the second, I mean, the last round of the chase, Sauter just got lit. I mean, there was a fire that got lit under him. Two wins, a second, then he finishes second again at Homestead, Miami to win the chase. He was a solid truck all through the chase. He struggled in qualifying, and he was worried after that, but wound up putting together a really good race. The sad part is, take that blown engine at Phoenix away, William Byron's a guy who should have easily won the championship. He, without a doubt, was the class of the Truck Series field this year, driving for Kyle Busch Motorsport, but he lost an engine with like 40 laps to go at Phoenix, or he mm -hmm. would be holding the big trophy and would have been celebrated last night, not just as Rookie of the Year, but also as a Truck Series champion. No, I agree. I think uh, there was a lot of people on Twitter kind of infuriated, saying people are going to look back and say, Man, he won seven races this year, William Byron, and he didn't win the championship. How is that possible? In a format that is supposed to, supposed to, I put that in quotes, reward winning. Um, and it didn't do that in the truck series this year, no doubt about it. And listen, I think Sauter and MGMS team, again, it was, it's, it's a lot like other sports where you got to get right at the, hot at the right time. Sauter and that GMS team really got hot at the right time. And uh, Byron had a little bit of a lull there, and the truck at Homestead was flawless. I mean, he was phenomenal. But he was a class of the field all year long, no doubt about it. And I think that's a little bit of a flaw in this system where you'll see somebody who was really good throughout the entire year and some guy get hot and steal the championship away from him. So, yeah, I think uh, definitely that's a little bit of flaw in the chase format in the NASCAR Cup from a truck series. Um, but, again, I, I appreciate Sauter. I think he's a great racer. And, uh, it, you know, he deserves his first championship there as well. Okay, John, um, lots of silly season news that has come up, and we're going to discuss all of it coming up right now. Um, first of all, it was announced Monday at Monday evening about that Greg Biffle and Roush Federer Racing are parting ways. Biffle's been with the organization since, he's, since forever, really. Came up through the organization, won a truck championship, won an Xfinity championship, never got that cup championship, has 19 wins in the cup series. He's been driving the 16 cars since 2003. Um Biffle was going to move to JTG, JTG Daughter Racing for 2017. Um, now it looks like that's not happening. And we'll discuss what, what, the, um, what the future for JTG Daughter Racing second team looks like. But what are your thoughts on, on Rash Fenway breaking up there with Greg Biffle? This has been a, one of the long-term partnerships in this sport. I, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think real hard anybody who's been with an organization longer than Greg Biffle in this sport, um, I think maybe Jimmy Johnson and Hendrick Motorsports, and that could be it. And uh, they're, they're gone at the end of the year. At, they're gone now. Um, so Greg Biffle out at Rash Center Racing. Your thoughts on those two breaking up? I think it was long overdue. Um, and you and I talked throughout the weekend. If Biffle could have made a deal with Michael Waltrip Racing two years ago when his contract was up, he probably would have jumped to Mikey. The deal fell through, and I think Biffle has done more with less than anybody else in a considered big-time team. And Roush Fenway Racing is slowly but surely falling off the map as considered a big-time team. Um, he lost 3M, and how bad is it when 3M was sponsoring Biffle for the full season and they left him to sponsor Jeff Gordon for seven races. 
And then they had Kentucky Fried Chicken on for a while. They go away. Cheez-Its going away. Uh, Zest is going away from Ricky Stenhouse Jr. The there's Roush Fenway Racing is a dumpster fire right now. And yeah. well, supposedly Ford is going to try to help Roush get their act back together again. But it's a dumpster fire. Biffle was yeah. the continuity. And he even said, I signed, I chose to be here. We kept saying things were going to get better, and I got tired of running 25th every week. And they've been talking about it for months. I think Biffle was asking, say, hey, can I possibly get out of this thing because we're junk, and I'm tired of being in junk. Give me a chance to at least try to find something good. And there's nothing good to find out there. I think Ralph Fenway is in big trouble. I mean, as we saw tonight, Robbie Reiser's gone. They mm-hmm. basically said, Robbie, thanks for playing. Drive carefully. I think Robbie was part of the problem. He was a great crew chief for Kenseth, but when he moved to the general manager position, that's where you started seeing the decline in Roush Fenway racing. Yeah, and listen, let's talk about Biffle here for a minute. He went 17 straight races at the end of the year without a top 10 finish. Didn't lead a lap all year long. Um you know, he had three top tens in the middle of the season. It looked like he was doing pretty well. They were going to turn the corner there. Uh, crashed in Indianapolis, and it was a disaster from then on. He had ortho, too. People forget he had ortho with him. And they were they signed a multi-year contract there to go there, and they backed out after their first year on that 16 car. And that really is what did them in. I I think Rash Fender Racing is making some interesting moves here. And, there's talk now that the 16 car will not run next year. They're going to either sell or lease. We haven't really gotten confirmation on that. Their charter to the second JTG Daughtery Racing Team with Busher obviously was at the 34 car this year. It sounds like Busher's going to move to the second JTG Daughtery Team with the 16 charter. Um, so that's interesting to keep in mind. I believe that they're going to lease it. But, you know, I was talking to you, and I think you disagree with this wholeheartedly. You, and you said this right now. You think Roush Fenway's in trouble. I'm not so sure financially. I'm not so sure they're in trouble financially. I think Jack's in pretty good shape. you got to remember, he gets a cut of every single engine in the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series, and even some ARCA engines in the, in the uh, ARCA Series that use Roush Yates engines. He gets a cut of that. I'm not sure this is a fact that Jack Roush is going broke. I think this is the fact that Jack Roush and his team haven't performed lately. And I think you're going to see a major overhaul on this team. We're already starting to see it. Robbie Reiser, out. Uh, who they bring in, who knows? You know, I'm sure they've got some, a short list of people who they're bringing in. If not, they have the guy already hired, figured out who they're going to bring in. They're going to restart. They're going to revamp. They're going to take the assets from that 16 car, all the money they were putting into that 16 car from Biffle's contract, and they'll run the team, and, the, and they're going to lease the charter and get the money from that and they're going to throw it back into the 6 and the 17 car, and they're going to say, you know what, let's do this. Let's put it out there. Let's get our cars better. And we'll get it. it takes a year for 2017 to get our cars really competitive. Then we'll bring back Chris Buescher in that 16 car, get our charter back, and we'll be back in good shape again. I don't think it's a bad strategy. Um, I think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. can win in this sport. I don't know. I think I'm a minority on that because I think a lot of people don't look at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. as, as a guy who can win. I do. I think Stenhouse is a very good driver. He's proved it on the dirt. He's won Xfinity Series titles. He just needs the cars underneath him. Um, I'm not sure Bain is, is as good as Stenhouse, but Bain in the middle of the year as well, he was very close to look like he was going to make the chase. So this Rush Fenway team, to me, um, they went in the middle of the year, they were looking pretty good. Now they've hit rock bottom. And it's competitiveness. If they don't change things, if they don't, I like the fact they're changing things. Because if they didn't, they stay status quo, I think they would have been gone in three years. Because the sponsorships eventually in that 17 call would have ran out. Sponsorships on the 6 call would have ran out, and they would have been done. But I like what they're doing. You know, was Robbie Razzard a problem? We're about to find out. Because they're taking, I think, a lot of the older blood in this, in, at Rash Fender Racing, and they're going to push new blood in there. I think they need to go more towards an engineering side. I think that's huge for them because they're getting the same horsepower as Stuart Haas Racing is going to get next year and as Team Penske got the last three years. Team Penske has been phenomenal, and their engine hasn't been a problem. Roush Fender Racing has been a disaster, and you can argue it's because of the engineering part. And that's why I like if they bring in an engineer here and say, you know what, let's bring an engineer here and replace Robbie Reiser and get these cars better from the engineering standpoint, I think they can only go up because – 
right now for this team, they finished 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in owner points this year uh, with their three cars. That's not going to get a ton. They had to do something, John Harlow, no doubt about it. I don't think when you when you think about it, I mean that Jack's going broke, broke, because the sponsorship's starting to go away. I think that there's the dumpster fire of Roush Fenway Racing, and I understand your point that, yeah, he gets a cut off of every engine that Roush Yates makes. He also has been providing chassis to Richard Petty Motorsports. He's been providing chassis and support over to Front Row Motorsports. The one I don't get in the rumor of Chris Busher going to JTG Doherty is Ford likes Chris Busher. You'd think you'd want to keep him in front row and build that up some and keep him in a Ford before you send him over to a Chevy team at JTG Doherty. It's not like yeah. the Casey Kane one year holding out and go drive a Toyota with Red Bull waiting for Mark Martin to retire. That's a whole different scenario. This is you're sending one of your young bucks and sending him, okay, here, drive a Chevy for a year and make your make your name there over with JTG Doherty, help another Chevy team build what they're trying to do, and then when we yep. need you, we'll bring you back. I don't like that move one bit. I'm with you, and that's where I'm confused, John, because it doesn't make any sense to put Busher in a car when he already had one, um, unless you bring up Bubba Wallace because you can't afford him in a Smitty series anymore, and that could be that could be true. So that's what makes you wonder about it. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. And we do have a caller here tonight. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hey, Lee, what do you want to discuss tonight? Well, I'll talk about the Roush Fenway Racing uh, deals that are going on here. Um, you know, this chartering system is very catered um, and, and it's interesting. And, you know, there's a lot that's going to go into this, guys. I mean, the 16 charter being sold, I think, will give Jack the extra money that he may need to invest in the team if they if they sell it or they lease it to the 47. Um, what I would be surprised of, Butcher, and, and nobody brought this up, is, you know, with the 47, they're aligned with Richard Childress Racing, and they're getting some secrets, some, uh, you know, some uh, information from Richard Childress Racing. Chris Busher is going to get some of that and be able to bring it back to Rash Fenway Racing. That, that to me, is something I wouldn't want if I was RCR. Um, but sounds like it's going to happen. I also heard guys that Front Row Motorsports may condense down to a single-car team next season, and maybe that's why you know they needed to find a seat for Chris Busher, seeing that Richard Petty Motorsports doesn't have a sponsor for the 44 car. Um, you know, right now there's I think there's more charters than rides, and if somebody could find just a little bit of money, um, one of those rides could end up pretty good, especially if they're going to go align with Hendricks. So there's still a lot out there, but you know the Roush Fenway deal. I think it was time to make a change. The definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and, ex- and mm-hmm. expecting a different result. Um, I think at this time, at this point, you know, they needed to make a change. And from what I've heard, guys, um, there's going to be more coming. So, yeah, I believe that. I, I do believe that. I think there's more coming here at Roush Fenway. I don't think it's. A, and, and listen, I've been calling for this for a while. I just think internally there was something not there for this team. And uh, and I think Robert Rogers is a great guy. He's a smart guy, but just time to change something for sure. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation. John Harlow, where do you think this leaves Greg Biffle? He's not about the mystic about it. There was rumors about Biffle going to the second JTG team. Now he's out of there, it sounds like, with Busher going there, which really is curious because you think Busher's only on maybe a year, two at most um, with that team. So why wouldn't you hire a guy who can get you there three, four, five years like, like Greg Biffle could with no ties? Um, but where do you think Greg Biffle's future goes from here? John, do you think he's going to be in a ride next year? Do you think he's going to retire? What are your thoughts on Biffle's future? You ready for my off-the-wall pick for this? Driving a truck for Brad Keselowski Racing. Going to drive the other truck for Brad Keselowski Racing. Austin Sidrick's going to be in one, and Greg Biffle will be in the other. He'll get to stay with the Blue Oval. He'll be in a competitive ride. And he didn't say it had to be a competitive – he wanted to be in a competitive ride. He never said it had to be Cup Series. Greg Biffle's made enough money driving Cup for Jack Roush that he's comfortable for pretty much the rest of his life. If he wants to go run races and he wants to go win, he'll get out of the Truck Series, drive for Brad Keselowski Racing in the open seat that's there, and do well. Mm. Listen, that's interesting. I think they're going to put 
Chase Briscoe this year's ARCA champion in that truck for the second car. There was rumors that Chase Briscoe was at Homestead Miami Speedway in a Brad Keselowski racing jacket this weekend. So that's something to keep an eye on as well um, as as the silly season moves forward. Um, listen, I don't know where Biffle's going to go. I'm trying to think of rides out there. Lee brought up a great point. There's a lot of charters. And I think that's why, you know, there was talk, well, H. Scott Motorsports is going to sell their charter to uh, the 77 car. There was talk that it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden we saw Harry Scott about four weeks before the season ended saying, well, you know, we're not really sure because the landscape of the of the of what's going on here has sort of changed to where maybe he doesn't, maybe he can't sell his charter and he's going to have to run next year, Harry Scott, just to keep things going. Because if, if Lee, if what Lee said, he's hearing that um, front row motorsports might condense down to one team. That's a little scary. So, you know, that's another charter open. Then Tommy Baldwin, just saw them sell their charter. Uh, so there's a lot of charters out there and maybe not enough rides, but career goes, listen, I think they've had a very good career. I don't think he belongs in the hall of fame. Um, but he, he's a very good career, and I, I said this on our Facebook page, and I believe this. I think next year when the Daytona 500 strikes, Greg Biffle is going to be sitting up with his feet on his couch in his recliner, a nice cold beer in his hand, and he's going to be reflecting on what a great career he had because that's what it was. I truly believe that. Um, other silly season news, and I just talked about a little bit here, is Tommy Baldwin Racing. Lead Tommy Baldwin Racing sold his charter um, to Levine Family Racing, Uh they're going to run full-time next year in the number 95 car. Michael McDowell sounds like he's going to be the driver, and the crew chief will be uh, Todd Parrott. Todd Parrott, former championship-winning crew chief with Dale Jarrett from 1999. Parrott told Bob Levine, the owner of that team, listen, I like Michael McDowell. I believe I can win races with Michael McDowell. McDowell had a really good year at Levine Family this year. Your thoughts on the on the uh, whole Levine Family, Tommy Baldwin Racing selling its charter? Well, I think it's unfortunate for Tommy Baldwin and Tommy Baldwin Racing. I mean, this is a team that stole our hearts in 2009 when Scotty Riggs drove them into the Daytona 500. Uh, you know, when he hired Scotty Riggs, everybody loves Scott Riggs. Scott Riggs, we know, could drive. You know, he could go out there. I think Scott Riggs, we all know, could win, win at the cup level. Um, and when he got that ride, we said, okay, there's something for him. And he got him into the Daytona 500, and he stole our hearts. And they've been kind of the fan favorite ever since Tommy Baldwin Racing. Um and it's just been unfortunate that they couldn't make it last longer than this. Um, the legacy of Tommy Baldwin Racing is going to be Ryan Blaney. Where the, you know, they gave Ryan Blaney his first chance in the Xfinity Series, and he ran pretty well for them, and Roger Penske, I mean, period. That's the, that's the legacy of Tommy Baldwin Racing. Um, I think that's, this is just the uh, landscape of this sport now. You know, we said this last year when um, they introduced this charter system. We said, if they don't make sure up to the racetrack – and racing more affordable and profitable, these charters aren't going to be worth a damn thing. Well, here we are, not even a full year later, and they're not really worth a damn thing. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because Baldwin did get some money, obviously. We don't know how much he got. We can only speculate on what he got from the Vine family. John, before we move on to another couple of news here on the silly season, what are your thoughts on the Michael McDowell uh signing with the Levine family. you think Michael McDonald be able to win in that car? Do you think that team is, is a chase contender next year? I really like the Todd Parrott hire. I think Todd Parrott still can get it done in this garage area. The only reason why they were able to get his hand, their hands on him is because of the incident he had uh, failing a drug test a few years back, and he was released from Richard Petty Motorsports. I like Todd Parrott. I think he does a good job. Um, what are your thoughts on Michael McDowell and Todd Parrott pairing at Levine family, most likely for uh, 2017? I think Michael McDowell has done really well with the limited assets that he's had. Uh, it'll be nice. Hopefully, Levine Family Racing can afford to get a solid sponsor in because Thrivent Financial's walking away. Um, it would be really nice to see Michael McDowell do something well with Levine Family Racing. I'd really love to see one of these small teams building themselves and become a contender. I'm tired of always talking Penske, Stuart Haas, Hendrick, and Joe Gibbs Racing. It's bad that Richard Childress Racing, you can't hear. He provides chassis and everything and support to all these teams. None of them find their way to victory lane. I'd like to see Michael McDowell do well for Levine Family Racing. They're a team that has done it well. They've slowly but surely built themselves up, running the races they knew they could be competitive in. Michael McDowell's been a solid contender for them 
and it'd be really nice to see something from Michael McDowell other than his career highlight of the 15 barrel roll flip that he did yeah. at Texas Motor Speedway, his first time qualifying there. I really like the guy. I think he does well. You've seen him in good equipment whenever he runs for Gibbs in the Xfinity car. He can win for them. I think if you put him in good equipment, and Levine Family Racing has been building and building, the equipment's getting better. You're seeing it in the results. He ran top 15 all day, wound up with a top 10 finish on Sunday night. I'm rooting for Michael McDowell to do well. Yeah, me too. I think he – and it'll be interesting because – this is his opportunity. He's never had this opportunity before. Remember, he used to start and park at Premium Motorsports for a couple of years there uh, to keep his career alive. So this is his opportunity now where he's with a decent team, to, and if they can make strides, I don't think they necessarily have to make a chase in their first couple of years, but just make strides, keep the sponsors happy. I think that's a good move. Also, guys, uh, Ty Dillon's future. You know, there's been talk Ty Dillon's going to do a cup ride next year. Um, you know, they talked about it all year that he's going full-time to do a cup ride. Now it sounds like uh, they're they're very close to announcing a ride. They said uh, at NBC last night, or excuse me, last Sunday, that he's very close to announcing a full-time ride for next season. I believe that, guys, that's going to be, at the end of the day, Jermaine Racing with the Geico sponsorship, which leaves Casey Mears out of a ride. Um, the Geico's car uh, at Jermaine Racing is um, – has an affiliation with Richard Childress Racing. They provide the engines and chassis there. So it's not going to be a Richard Childress team car per se, but it will still be a Richard Childress Racing chassis and engine underneath Ty Dillon next year. Um, what are your thoughts there, John Harlow? And then, Lee, we'll get your opinion on this uh, about uh, Geico and Jermaine going to Ty Dillon next year. I think there's still a shot that Ty Dillon doesn't end up with the 13 car. I mean, Casey Mears has done well for them. Jermaine Racing has been very supportive of Casey Mears. I think there's a shot that the Circle Sport car, because they're going to have a charter still, so the 33 is probably going to come back. There's a chance that that becomes the unofficial fourth Richard Childress Racing car like it has been in the past. I mean, you look, anytime Ty Dillon's been in a car, it hasn't been a Levine family racing car. It's been an RCR car driving under the Levine family racing circle sport banner the same way it was last and two years ago when it was the 33 and Ty ran it it would be a Richard Childress car not a circle sport car so there's a shot Joe Falk and Richard Childress are really tight there's a chance it could be Ty Dillon in the circle sport and if you think about it remember back in the day before Sprint and Nextel came in AT&T was a sponsor of Richard Childress Racing. I could see AT&T getting back in with Ty Dillon and becoming a car, using one of those charters, either going to the 33 or the 13. I could see Geico staying with Casey Mears and Casey Mears being in whichever car that Ty Dillon's not in. Yeah, well, Mears had a tough year this year. He's 28th in points, um, and last year they finished 23rd in points. So it was a little bit of a disappointing year for him. For sure. you got to remember there's also three less cars in the field this year. So it was a disappointing year for Casey Mears this year. Um, I haven't heard anything, Lee, from that Circle Sport team. I haven't heard that, that they're going to even race next year. Um, maybe they're in the mix of selling their charter, too, because they have one all of a sudden. Because Nassar kind of came in and said, that's not really Levine Family Racing's charter. That's sort of Circle Sport's charter. So you guys have a charter here. Is Circle Sport going to sell? I mean, I haven't heard anything from this team, Lee. Well, if you remember, there was a lawsuit around that charter. Joe Falk owned Circle Sport Racing in the 33 car, but they were a team car with the number 40 type team. This was in 2015 of Hillman Smith Racing when Landon Castle was driving there. Um, and the 33 was the one that got the charter. So it was kind of, okay, Joe Falk kind of took it and, and ran and put it underneath the nose of the 95 team. And... Mike Hillman went, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm part owner of that team. I should get part of that charter. So I think Levine Family Racing separated themselves from that charter and said, you know what, we're going to go elsewhere with a different charter. Um, and it's just going to, it's interesting what may end up with that charter, what's going to end up there because um, we never know. But, you know, maybe Mike Hillman wins the lawsuit. He still has chassis. Remember, he tried to run the Daytona 500 with Reed Sorensen. So he may still, he may try and run it again. Who knows? Um, so there's a lot going on in that deal. I think tied to the 13 is a done deal. 
from what I'm hearing, though, Casey Mears is kind of being a pester with that team, saying, you know, I have a three-year contract. You signed into a three-year deal. Um, yeah. And you're going you're gonna to honor your contract, or I'm going to sue you until you can't breathe. So, from what I understand, you know, Mears has something on the Xfinity side, but um, he is being a pester on that cup side with his contract, saying, you know, I do have a three-year deal, and you've got to honor it. And I think that's where the holdup is right now with Ty Dillon going to the 13 Geico team. That would be very interesting. We saw it with Elliot Sadler a bunch of years back when RPM tried to get rid of Elliot Sadler prematurely, and he filed for a breach of contract and won, and they had to keep Sadler in there. If you remember, they had Reed Sorensen, who was supposed to take over Sadler's ride. Reed Sorensen ran that car for basically for free uh, at the end of the year, and then he was out of a ride to keep Sadler there. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, but, you know, the Tommy Baldwin news, guys, leaves Regan Smith out of a ride. Um, Regan Smith, a very good driver, um, somebody who uh, seems like, you know, he, he gets along great with sponsorships. Fans love him because of his ties with Dale Jr. And he's a nice guy. He's won a, won a race. You can argue he's won two races in the Cup Series with that Talladega win. Um, but he's a guy out of a ride here. He went to Tommy Baldwin, um, did a decent job in that car. The, the sponsorship wasn't really there. We saw, I don't think that team was really building new chassis toward the end of that year when they knew they were getting out. Um, so what are your thoughts on Reagan Smith? You know, you still that 44 open, maybe the 34, maybe both of them shut down. Who knows? Uh, what are your thoughts on Reagan Smith's possibilities, John Harlow, for 2017? And the thing is, as you look at it, the Xfinity rides are slowly but surely going away. I mean, Regan Smith is a nice little driver, but he hasn't really been in great equipment. He was at Furniture Row before Furniture Row became Furniture Row, and he struggled there. He was okay but with what he had with Tommy Baldwin racing. But, I mean, of all the guys who are at the cup level who I think deserve to seat time, Alex Bowman, the kids run great. He's run great in great equipment. He's had a couple mechanical issues. Nothing happened that was his fault when it came to anything he did that caused any accidents. Alex Bowman deserves a ride. And as you go through looking at the charter thing, Premium Motorsports leased theirs to H. Scott Motorsports, so it'll go back to Premium Motorsports, and it'll be Mm -hmm. basically a ride around the backer. Nobody's talked about the Wood Brothers grabbing somebody's charter. You've got the 77 coming in with Eric Jones, but there's more, I mean, what, four or five charters out there already in the first year yeah. that are up for grabs? And you heard uh, this week it was reported that they're only paying like $3 million bucks from the point fund for a cup champion. I mean, right. when is it going to come to the point where to get – 10 million bucks at the end of the year, you have to spend 30 million to get there. That's the worst business model known to man. And sooner well, or later, were, it's going to dry up. What I think they were trying to do with that was evenly disperse the money from the champion to, um, through 25th in the field, which I like because I think the owners who run 25th in the field um, deserve a little bit more money. I'm not sure taking it from the champions fund was a great idea. But there's also talk about the sponsorship search. We don't know what that costs. I think they didn't get as much. If they haven't done, they didn't get as much money as they originally thought they were going to get. So that they have to keep. You have to keep that in mind. This is a business. So at the end of the day, you know, they they can probably keep the money status quo, but they can't bring it up any because of the fact that um, they didn't get as much money as they thought they were going to get, and they might not even getting as much money as they did this year from Sprint. So they had to get that money from somewhere, and they took it from the championship points fund, which was interesting. Um, Lee, about the chartering system, you know, to me the biggest impact of this chartering system has been the three years of being in the bottom three, where if you finish in the bottom three in owner points of the three of, of t- charter teams for three years in a row, you lose your charter. This year those teams were the 32 at Gold Pass, the 98 premium team, which, which was via the 46 at – um, H. Scott and the 83 at BK Racing. Um, to me, that's the biggest thing that's really spiced things up because a lot of teams are looking to get out because they don't want to finish in the bottom three for three years in a row. Um, what are your thoughts there, Lee, on, on that three years in the bottom three? Do you think that's really spiced things up? Well, I think for the 32 car and the 98 car, absolutely. I think the 83 has enough um, 
strength and sponsorship and funding behind it where they know that they can at least run pretty good enough to not be in the top three, bottom three next year, especially with how many charters are out there and how how bad some of the teams are. The team that's really concerning is the 32 because they don't seem like they have any light whatsoever at the end of the tunnel to ever get any any better at all. Um, they, why would anybody align with them? They may not have the money to go align with anybody else. Um, and so, you know, I think they're going to be around, and I think they're going to run, but I think they're going to run in the same capacity that they did this year, which is really not due too hot. So um, they've got sponsorship there. They've signed Jeffrey Earnhardt. They have the, uh, the Can-Am sponsor deal with them. Um, Bobby Labonte, I'm sure, will probably not be back with that team next year. He's probably done. Um, you know, it, a lot of teams have realized, okay, we could, we could, if this happens and we don't, if we can run, we don't want to be in the bottom three three years in a row because we could lose our charter and not get anything for it. We might as well sell it now, especially Tommy Baldwin, who is not in that bottom three, where he can go sell it to a team and say, okay, now you can go run poorly for the next two years because you're not in the bottom three. So it's a little bit more valuable if you're not in the bottom three, and that's really where those three teams are kind of sunk, where, yeah, you'll get a charter, but it better be a good team if you're the 98 because um, you're in the bottom three. If, you know, if a guy finishes in the bottom three again the next two seasons, they're done, and they lose that charter, yeah. and what they paid for isn't worth anything. So uh, they would definitely have to uh, make sure that um, you know it would be worth more if it's higher than that. No question. But in reality, and what's the use of it? There's four or five charters sitting out there. If you're in the bottom right. three, what's it matter? I mean, there's more charters than there are cars. And that's a good point. And the thing is, too, um, but they, they have to run. They can't. I don't think you can just sell your charter back to NASCAR and say, here, take it. You know, <laughs> they have to run, which makes it interesting because that premium team can't lease their charter again. Once you do it once in a three-year period, they don't like you to do it again. So they're either going to have to run or they're going to have to sell it. Uh, the 32 team, I think they're going to align with trying to align some with somebody. We haven't really heard anything from them since about July. Um, but listen, it's it is crazy out there right now. It is a silly season because of these charters. These owners are looking to make some money off of these charters. But who knows, guys? I mean, uh, this was a sport that you know. I remember when in 2007 when Michael Walter Bracing's team was alive and well. You know, people were talking about adding pistols because we had 47 cars and, and four or five cars were going home every week. And they were good, big-time sponsored cars. Now we can't even field 40 cars. We might not even be able to field 40, 36. So it's something to keep in mind here. Um, you know, it's a scary proposition we're in right now with this sport, um, with these with these charters, the fact that nobody wants them. Uh, and, and it just seems like there's more charters than teams right now. Uh, Lee in Virginia, we're, we're running slow on time here. I appreciate the call. You're always a great call. And we'll see you next time here on Talking in Circles. And if you want to join the show here on Talking Circles, 917-889-8280. But John Harlow here in the last minute and 40 seconds of this show, um, you know, let's talk about the Sprint sponsorship real quick. We heard Monster Energy last week come in and sounds like they're going to, you know, uh, sponsor the sport, but we haven't really heard anything official yet. They're in the final stages. What are your thoughts on this sponsorship here for NASCAR? I think the... The sponsorship's fine. I think Monster Energy would bring a new kind of marketing to NASCAR that they're not used to with Sprint. I mean, Sprint's looking at getting people to buy cell phones. Monster Energy's a younger demographic than NASCAR's been pulling in. You've got your younger drivers of Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Busher. Um, you got Eric Jones in there. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. The one thing that bothers me as we go through it is whenever you see all this going down and you see that they're pulling money from the Champions Points Fund to pay everything else, NASCAR is a billion-dollar corporation. they got a billion-dollar TV contract. Every time people go through the gates at an ISC track, NASCAR, or every time somebody goes through the gate, NASCAR gets a cut of it. The drivers, I mean, they pay to be part of the race. It's not like they walk up and they say, there's an entry fee to be in the race. NASCAR gets that. There's money in there that NASCAR has, and NASCAR is privately owned by the France family. So they're making money hand over fist. There's an official sponsor of everything. So NASCAR could actually open up the coffers, pay out to where it ends up being equal to what the sponsorship's trying to be, so at least people are making money out of it. But they're not. It's just the France family adding more, building new banks in Daytona Beach. 
Yeah, and we lost our live audience there a minute ago. Um, but, yeah, no doubt about it. I think um, this is the first time, John Harlow, since 1970. Think about this for a second. The first time since 1970 this sport, as we sit here today, doesn't have a title sponsor. Winston came in in 1971, and then it was taken over by Sprint slash Nextel, however you want to call it. And it's been sponsored, a title sponsor for the series since 1971. We currently don't have one. Obviously, I think when they signed this deal, when they learned Sprint was leaving, um, they, I think if, you, if I told them, well, we're going to go after the 2016 season, we're still not going to have a sponsor lined up. I remember hearing that announcement in my car and driving and saying, okay, I will know who the next sponsor is of the, of the, of the Sprint Cup Series by the March of 2016 at the later, because I think that was most important, April, May. And when it got to September, it was like, they, they said September, I was like, okay, well, they had a little bit of a snag. Now here we are, and this sport is not sponsored. It's almost mind-boggling. And, again, I think it's something that they thought they were going to get a lot more money than they did. And that's why you're seeing them do stuff that is kind of out of the ordinary, taking the points, or taking the owner's uh, the championship money stake away from them because they still have officials to pay. They still have everybody, a lot of things to pay there. And you're right, but it's, it's NASCAR looks at it as a separate deal where a certain amount of money goes into the points fund, a certain amount of money goes here, a certain amount of money goes there, and they wanted to keep the same amount of money in the points fund because they might have to go somewhere else to because they're not getting as much money in as they originally thought. So um, I think that's part of the reason why they did that. Three, they're not hurting for money at all, um, but you know, they also have to look at it as business where they want their bottom line to stay status quo and or they want to grow it, and uh, they're going to do everything possible they can to do that. Well, I can tell you Great one show. thing, Clayton, while we're, before we go. I was at Kansas Speedway and talked to the people at Kansas Speedway because I was doing a paper for something I did for work. And one of the things that they said, they could not, they could do both races, not bring a person in, not sell a hot dog T-shirt, anything, and they will make money on that weekend because ISC owns 50% of the casino that's sitting right there off of turn two so there's no way anybody can cry poor on it nascar screwed the pooch by thinking they were going to get a billion dollar 10-year deal and realizing that attendance is down tv ratings are down and they think they're going to get the money they want and they kept holding out for what they were hoping for and it's not going to be there now they're finally going back saying okay we'll take this and the people who would sponsor it have already said, eh, I've gone to something else. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is um, they, they're just having trouble finding it right now. And, you know, it, I love this sport, so I don't want to see it fail. That's the one thing, you know, and I think people might accuse me of otherwise. I don't want to see it fail. I, I just I, I get worried because this is something that I, I, I enjoy more than anything is watching cars go around in circles. I know that sounds stupid, but for me, it's it's a way of life. And uh, I just hope they find a sponsor that's good for the sport and, and brings money and helps them grow up to the next level. But, you know, it'd be interesting. I can't wait to see. They're going to say, obviously, in the press release, when they sign this sponsor, they're going to say multi-year deal. Look at the details. I always get to look at the details because I don't think they're going to tell you it's a 10-year deal. I think if if somebody asks them how many years it's going to be, they're not going to admit how many years it's going to be. So it's something to keep an eye on, for sure. And I'm John surprised Hall- Lisa France Kennedy hasn't gone after the chairmanship because of the way Brian's run the sport into the ground. <laughs> well, she she's a pretty busy lady with the ISC uh, whole deal she's got to run with as well. But, you know, Brian is not a popular guy, obviously. We've heard Tony Stewart talk about him. Uh in the garage area, the fans don't like them. The fans, you know, they're a little crazy to begin with, but there's a lot of really hardcore fans that don't really care for what he's done. I think he needs to do a better job showing up in the garage area, no doubt about that. Um, I, I think my direction and NASCAR's direction, where they want to run a sport, are two different things. I'm an old school guy. They're looking completely at getting a new school fan in here. Okay, fine. Uh, I think the caution clock's a disaster in the truck series, but don't even get me started on that. So those are things... But, you know, like I said last week or two weeks ago, I think there's so many people running this sport right now. There's so many people who have an opinion on this sport that are inside the sport um, that it kind of hurts it, where it used to be one voice. Bill France, there was no doubt Bill France Jr. was in control of this sport. 
you're kind of sitting there wondering, you know, Mike Helton, I haven't seen Mike. Mike Helton, I saw him this week for the first time in, in almost a, I, I can't remember the last time I saw Mike Helton but when he handed out the Xfinity trophy this week. I don't even know what Mike Helton's job description is anymore. Um, so there's just so many people at the top of the sport, you almost forget about them. And I think that's not a very good thing. I think we need kind of one or two guys making the decisions. Um, and I think that'll be good. And, and a smart, smart people will do it, which I think is lacking too as well. Again, thank you everybody for calling. Lady Virginia, great call. John Hollow, great job tonight as, as well. We'll be back here next week for our first off-season edition of Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.